We're going to keep the storytelling going this morning. I'm going to share a story this morning from Luke 8. And then I'm going to invite our friends Isaac and Sandy forward. And they're going to share a personal story of faith with us as well. So looking forward to that. Let me just get situated here. Okay, so the story that I'd like to share this morning, as I said, comes from Luke 8. This is a story about resurrection, and it's a story about a life-changing healing. I think it's also a story about the power of Jesus, and I think it's a story about the power of faith as well. However, this week, as I was spending some time with the scripture, it's spoken to me in a new way, and I'd like to share that with you all this morning. And my hope anytime I have a chance to speak is that you might also hear with new ears and that whatever comes from this 20 minutes of time uh, actually makes a difference in your daily life. So that's my hope and that's been my prayer. So let me read the story, listen along. A um, little context first, just to give you a sense of where the scripture falls in the Luke account. Okay, Jesus and his disciples have just returned from the land called the Gerasenes. If you were here about four or five weeks ago, Randy preached a message from this particular story. This is where Jesus and his disciples, they have crossed the lake, they have gone to the edges, so to speak, and they encounter a man who is possessed by demons. Okay, and Jesus, you remember, Jesus proceeds to cast out the demons, sending them at their request, mind you, into a herd of pigs, plummeting down a steep cliff into the lake, where they drown, okay? And then Jesus is sent away by the people in that place. The scripture says that the people were seized with fear. And Randy gave us some insight as to perhaps what they were afraid of. You can go back and listen to that sermon. Uh, but all that to say, they're sent from that place, and so Jesus and his disciples return to the land called Galilee, okay? And that's where the story picks up for this morning. And it goes like this. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Just then, there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, do not fear, only believe and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. They were all weeping and wailing. 
before her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. So there's so much in this story that we could focus in on. We certainly see the power of Jesus, right? He heals a woman who has been incurable, the scripture says, for years. And we see him perform a resurrection, which is one of a few resurrections that we're going to see him perform in the Gospels. In this case, bringing a 12-year-old girl back to life. So it's certainly a story that tells us something about Jesus' power and his ability to heal. I think it's also a story about faith, right? The text says, verse 41 there, if we can go back to that slide, Ivy, that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. This man believes who Jesus says he is, that he is the Son of God, or at least he wants to believe it. So it's a public testimony of faith in that way. And then in the same way, the woman, verse 47, it says, after touching the fringe of Jesus' clothes, comes trembling and falls down before him and declares, listen to this, declares before all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This, too, is a public testimony of faith. But let me tell you what I noticed for the first time this week as I was spending some time with this scripture. It strikes me that this is also a story about how Jesus handles interruption, how Jesus responds to interruption. We're not sure where he's going when he arrives back to Galilee. We know where he's come from. We can read that he's just been over in this region called the Gerasenes, performing an exorcism. But we don't know what Jesus' agenda is for the day, right? The text doesn't really say. We don't have access to his Google Calendar to see what's up, what he's going to do for the next eight to ten hours. For all we know, he's just kind of walking around. It's not clear. But without even knowing where he's going, we can read that this man, Jairus, puts himself on Jesus' path, falls before him in desperation, and Jesus sidelines whatever it is he's going to do and just goes with him. He just goes with him. Jesus doesn't seem thrown off by this kind of interruption. And then on his way to do this very important thing, he's about to perform a resurrection. On his way, Jesus is interrupted again. Someone touches him. A person in a giant crowd of, of people touches him. And despite the fact that he's in a crowd, right, where who's touching who? It's a crowd. Despite the fact that he's in a crowd, despite the fact that he has a mission in front of him to get to this man's house and save a dying girl, he stops and he addresses this woman who then addresses the crowds and then who gives a powerful testimony of faith. This happens before he continues with the tasks that are in front of him, the very important tasks that are in front of him. Jesus doesn't seem thrown off by interruption. He seems to welcome it. I find this fascinating. I find this fascinating. And, and all this week I was parsing through Luke's gospel 
and saw quite clearly, maybe you guys know this, it just landed on me for the first time this week, Jesus is interrupted all the time. He's interrupted all the time. He's interrupted when he's teaching. We have a story in Luke 4, he's in the synagogue at Capernaum, and a man possessed by a demon begins shouting, and Jesus casts out the demon, and the scripture says news spread about him through every village in the region. So he's interrupted when he's teaching. He's interrupted when he's just sort of walking along, sort of like in our story today. This happens in Luke 18 as well. Disciples are on their way, it says, on their way to Jericho when a blind beggar shouts out, asks Jesus to have mercy on him. Jesus does. The scripture says instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. So these interruptions, they don't seem to be a problem for Jesus. One of my favorite little stories uh, is when Jesus is interrupted by some parents. They've brought their children to Jesus, and they've asked Jesus to bless their children. In this story, the disciples are the ones that rebuke the parents for bothering Jesus. But even this, Jesus sees as an opportunity, an interruption, to teach those who are gathered something about the way of the kingdom that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children, he says. Jesus is interrupted by crowds who gather around him. He doesn't send them away. But rather, he says in one story, he says to his disciples, feed them, and then proceeds to perform one of his most well-known miracles in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is even interrupted from a nap. Could you get more human than that? You all know the story. The gang, they're on a boat crossing a lake. Storm blows in, interruption. Disciples panic, they wake Jesus up, interruption. And instead of saying what I probably would say, which is like, bugger off, I'm exhausted, get away from me, Jesus rebukes the winds and the raging waves, and then he says to his disciples, where's your faith? I think you get my point. Jesus doesn't seem scandalized when he's interrupted, when the path he's walking somehow takes a turn, and Jesus responds to anxious, fearful, worried people gently, with calm and with peace. Jesus responds to people in need, people who are right in front of him, with mercy and love and attention. An interruption doesn't seem to go by without Jesus using it, somehow using it to accomplish something of God's purposes, to show people God's love for them, <clears throat> to show people something about God's restorative nature to teach them something about what the kingdom of God is like, to show something of God's power or sovereignty, even to confront misbehavior or misunderstanding or injustice or hypocrisy, as he often was doing with a lot of the religious leaders of the time. And Jesus even responds to people who laugh in his face, verse 53, if we could put that slide up there, Ivy, in this, in this story, Jesus even responds to people who laugh in his face with, with, with confidence and with integrity, and with a steadiness. This is one of my favorite things about Jesus. He seems to know exactly who he is, and he seems to know exactly what he was put on this earth to do. He seems to have an uncanny ability to hold his nerve in the face of social disruption. I find this remarkable, and I want to live like that. I want to live like that. The only one Jesus seems worried about disappointing is his father. 
He knew who he was, and he knew what he came to do. Jesus died many deaths, many social deaths, before his final physical death on the cross. This is just one example. Think about that in your own life. Have you ever been laughed at, or scoffed at, or misunderstood? Simply by doing the thing you believe in your heart of hearts God has called you to do. I have. It's painful. It's a kind of death. And it can interrupt the course that God has for us if we let it. Jesus doesn't seem to let it. Jesus seems to have the ability to turn interruption into opportunity, opportunity to share something about who he is or who God is or what the kingdom is like, even about who we are. And so when I look at my own life and I ask, how do I handle interruption? It's not always with ease. It's not always with the kind of agility that I see in Jesus, a willingness to pivot if circumstances require it, a readiness to truly set down my will for the day and be present to the here and now, who's in front of me, what's in front of me at any given moment or any given time. And it's not always with a gentleness or a grace or even confidence in myself that I will be okay if things don't pan out the way I had hoped or planned or designed that I will not fall apart if the world around me seems to be falling apart, that I will remain whole, safe, hidden in Christ, even as the waves come and the ground moves. I don't always respond the way that Jesus does, but I would like to. I would like to be more like Jesus. Anyone else? And I wonder, here's what I wonder this week. I wonder if one of the ways we can become more like him is by daring to believe like him that there are kingdom possibilities in the midst of interruption? Do we believe that unexpected circumstances in our lives or in our days could be opportunities to share something or proclaim something about who God is or about what the kingdom of God is like? I want us to consider that today. Think about your own life. Think about your own story. Can you think of any times when an interruption, big or small, became an opportunity to learn something new something about God or about Jesus, whether it was an opportunity to speak something or just be something, be a certain way in the world, be a person of peace, for an example, in the midst of an anxious situation. Can you think of a time when an interruption revealed something about your own nature Ooh, that needed revealing, right? Perhaps something in your life, something in you that needed a deeper look or needed a deeper refinement in some way. I think interruption can draw those things out in us. I have a lot of those stories, an awakening to something in my own self that needs transform. So ponder that, to think about that. And uh, to help our imaginations, I'd like to invite Sandy and Isaac to share how they've come to this question. They've been kind enough to consider this with me over the last week. So let's give them our attention, welcome them forward as they bravely share. We'll have Sandy go first, and then Isaac come up, and then I'll wrap us up. All right, yeah, do you need this? Yeah. Good morning. Um, it was kind of interesting because this is something that I strongly struggle with. Um, I am an ENTJ, and for those of you, I know the Enneagram is the in thing now, but back in my day, it was a Myers-Briggs. And as an ENTJ, especially with a really high J, I like everything planned, I like everything organized, and I don't necessarily like surprises. Um, 
I used to use a Franklin planner back in the day, which obviously dates me as well, and was very much in the Stephen Covey way, and that was all my thing. And then I got led into the world of mental health um, at a walk-in clinic, which, um, you know, that, that's not something that is, um, you can put down in a, in a Franklin planner, that type of work. And then I was led into um, uh, being a school counselor um, and a, a um, Cincinnati Public Schools, Aiken High School, I've been there almost 20 years. And that is definitely every day a triage and definitely learning um, the Franklin Planner, all that stuff goes out the window because every day um, you may have a list. I like lists, I love to cross off things, but I've had to learn how that is not the way to rate a good day is by the things that I, I check off my list. And I was thinking about one interruption in particular and it's, it was clear back in 2011, and I was doing a, you know, helping kids with college applications, and I had a student ask if he could talk to me out in the hall, and so I went out in the hall, and he's like, I don't have an address to put down. Um, the student was experiencing homelessness. He was, you know, um, staying with some relatives, friends, all kinds of stuff. He didn't have an address, and just for some reason, my heart just really felt warmed, and I said, just put down my address, and I'll bring you your mail. Now, we have lots of kids that are in that same situation, and honestly, I've never said that before, but in that moment, I just did. I felt that that was the thing to say. So I was getting his college mail and bringing it in, and he, um, one day, we were talking, and he goes, you know, I really, I really ought to see your house since I'm supposed to live there. And so I brought him home for dinner, and my daughters were the same age as he was, and, and he and my husband um, really bonded. They both loved sports, and so it became a, a weekly thing where he would come over and, and um, have dinner and watch sports. And then when he graduated, he had no place to go. So we decided, well, we'll take him in for the summer before he goes to college, you know, three-month commitment, whatever. And he went to college. and. It wasn't necessarily the right thing for him. I don't think college is for everyone. I think it's a good thing, but there's a lot of other opportunities. Didn't end up working out for him. We went down several different times to Athens, Ohio to try to straighten things out. But um, anyway, he ended up qu quitting school and um, was actually living in his car down there for a while, working in restaurants. And we found that out in kind of another interruption. We asked him to come back and stay with us till he got on his feet. He. Um, ended up coming back with us. He ended up going into the military for about seven years and um, got out a couple years ago. And now he's a master plumber and he has a house in Forest Park, which um, for a 32-year-old African-American male to be able to be developing generational wealth is a big thing. And I don't say that because of anything we did. I believe that he had it in him to have this path. We were just blessed to be able to be part of the stability, you know, so that he could do what he was um, destined to be. And I, sh I share that to just talk about what if that day I hadn't been, you know, kind of in um, the spirit. And, and there's so many times that I can think of where I've handled situations differently when I'm trying to see the eyes through Jesus and other times when I'm really worried about my list and this interruption happens. Usually the interruption is students. You know, sometimes it's staff, but most of the times it's students. And the times that I have used those eyes, the lens of Jesus' eyes, the difference has been um, just immense. Um, and I still fail miserably many times, many days. I get sometimes frustrated at my interruptions. Um, 
But sometimes I just think for all of us, the kind words that maybe we say to someone who's frantically annoying to us or just trying to see what God is doing can reveal so much. And I believe um, many times we may not know the result. This is a story that, you know, has this because it, it went over for years. But there's a lot of times maybe that we're acting in the spirit where we don't know the result of that. And we don't get this emotional warm feeling or this, you know, really happy thing. But if we are listening, I believe that we are, we are bringing God's kingdom here and we are moving maybe people more into the presence of God. And um, I think that's really what it's all about. Thank you so much, Sandy. Thanks for sharing, sharing a story. Isaac, you want to come on up? Before I, I, I tell a story, I want to do something a little ridiculous um, that requires just a, a brief moment of participation. I want to tell a joke. Knock, knock. Yeah. Interrupting cow. Moo! <laughs> Thank you for letting me do that. that. That might be the only type of interruption that I like. I, I, I love productivity. I love efficiency. I love plans. And, and getting things done. And er, early in college, um, I was, I was in, a, in a place where I was like super, super busy, like so many college students, full class load, uh, working just about full time. I was volunteering at my church in a couple different ways. I was helping produce a television show and had very, very little free time. And one, one evening became available. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna take this time aside and I'm just gonna go relax and I'm going to go watch, hey buddy, just in here. I'm gonna go watch a high school basketball game, go watch my alma mater, go play the Crosstown Rival. And I, I felt this impression, like, no, that's, don't do that. And I just kind of pushed it aside, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go watch this basketball game. And, and again, later in the day, I felt that nudge, don't, don't go to the high school basketball game. I said, well, this is, this is ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with going and watching a high school basketball game. Why, why can't I do this? And I decided I'm just going to go do it. And I, I left my house and uh, walked up to uh, my, my old 1993 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. And I opened the door and I, I plopped down in the front seat. And I go to adjust my seatbelt and I lean back and snap the whole seat like rips apart from the welding in the bottom of the car and I, I in the seat like land in the back floorboard, which is not great for a lifelong fat kid. It doesn't do much for your self-esteem. And, and so I, I get up and go, well, I guess I'm not going to the basketball game now. And so I go tell my dad, my dad's a handy guy. He comes out and, and takes a look at it. And he goes, well, okay, we can, we can take the, the passenger seat and actually install it into the driver's seat and then we put the driver's seat like in the back of the car and then he took it to the local bus garage where he had a buddy who was a welder and they did some Appalachian engineering with it and <laughs> so that I had a vehicle to drive to work and to, to school the, the next day. And fast forward less than a, a year later, I'm driving home from, uh, from work and as I'm a, approaching my neighborhood, I get this nudge don't turn on your street. Don't turn on to Garfield Avenue. And they go, oh, this is silly. Like, wait, okay, I, like, I guess I'll turn on to Roosevelt instead of Garfield. What difference does a block make? 
But at this point, I'm driving like this retro 1993 Chevy Blazer that I'm pretty psyched about. And I don't want to break the seat in this thing. So I, I turn on to Roosevelt and go up the street a little bit and around the corner and start to head toward my house from the opposite direction that I normally would have. And as I round, round the corner and approach, I see uh, a group of folks gathered sitting in the grass along the side of the road. And that nudge hits me. I think this is what this is all about. So I pull over to the side and I recognize that in the crowd is an old childhood neighbor who I hadn't seen in years. And also sitting in the grass was a group of high school students that were a few years younger than me and had grown up in the neighborhood. And they attended the local high school where I was at that time serving as a substitute teacher. And I, I got out and said, hey guys, what's, what's going on? And they said, did you hear about Michael? And I had that morning. Michael was another high school student, a best friend of those that were gathered there, a kid who grew up in our neighborhood, and that morning he had, he had passed away after a tragic freak accident. And so I, I sat down with them, and as we started talking, I realized that the childhood neighbor who I hadn't seen with, hadn't seen in years, was around my age. He, like I, in the previous few years, had become really serious about his faith, and we sat and we just listened and to hard questions and to grief and mourning and thinking about the purpose of life and the meaning and the sadness and the anger and the confusion around all of that. And, and then we prayed with them. And I think for, for some of them, it was the first time that anybody had ever prayed with them about anything. And then I, I realized that we were in, in that moment, I, I could have missed that moment and miss the opportunity to hopefully bring a little light to a dark moment. Um, but fortunately, was able to do that for embracing the interruption and being willing to go down a different path that time. Thank you both, Sandy and Isaac, for being willing to share. It takes, takes a bit of courage to come up here and share personally, so appreciate you both. Thank you. So interruption. Could there be opportunity? Could there be possibility buried within it? Opportunity to what life with Christ is like, what the kingdom is like, who God is, who Jesus is. Maybe even opportunities to stretch in ways that we don't want to stretch or ways that we need to stretch but don't think that we can. So continue to think about that this week. Can you think of a time or a story when this proved true in your own life? Do you think it's possible do you believe it's possible that interruption could lead to kingdom opportunity? That's just a question. Do you think it's possible? And if so, if you dare believe that interruption could lead to kingdom possibilities, what difference would that make in your life? What difference would that make in your daily life? How would that change things for you? It's the question I want to just leave with you this week. I would venture to guess almost all of us will leave here today and we will be interrupted in some way. Small ways, hopefully not any giant ways. But something will occur that will feel like an interruption to our plans or to our days or to our perfectly cultivated peace. And might that thing, whatever it is, whoever it is, be an opportunity to model something true about what life with Jesus is like. So might the interruptions bear 
some kingdom fruit and kingdom possibility. So let's keep sharing stories, keep stepping forward in faith, allowing our own daily interactions, even the unexpected ones, to be signposts for the kingdom. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, we're going to